welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. My name is Jeff Wildrick. I've been here for about four or five weeks working uh, with Uh, the leadership board of the church, which in Presbyterian language we call the session, just in case you weren't on board with that. Uh, And I've been working with them to help kind of prepare the way. We know that the pastoral nominating committee is out looking for your next pastor. The session is working to make sure that when that new pastor arrives, whenever that may be, uh, that you guys are going to be ready and uh, for that pastor to just take off running and leading this congregation. And I've been enjoying being here. I actually live in New Jersey. My wife and I are uh, RVing across the country. Uh, this is my family from uh, left to right. Uh, my daughter, Natalia, her twin brother, Johnny. That's my wife, Kathy. And uh, I'm the guy with the Q-tip head on the middle. And uh, my daughter, Angela, uh, if you were here Good Friday, then uh, you might be one of the people who keep asking me about the dogs. So in Natalia's arms, you can barely see him. Little black dog is uh, Oliver Chihuahua. Then our white little white dog Mitzi, and our 90-pound golden retriever Tucker. So. I was looking at this picture. And I was thinking about. The, I actually heard that in New Jersey. Uh, they've changed the rules, and you are no longer allowed to smile when you take your driver's license picture. So instead of saying, say, say cheese, now the photographer just says, say, I'm from New Jersey. <laughs> there was a kid who was at church. He really wasn't familiar with church, had never been there before, and he noticed there was a plaque on the wall, and the plaque uh, said Roll of Honor, and it had all these different names, and the, the pastor came up and said, well, do you know what that is? And the kid said, no, I don't know what it is. And the pastor said, well, that is a list of all the people who died in the service. And the little kid said, was that the 9.30 service or the 11 o'clock service? (laughs) Well, that's kind of funny for us. We know that's not going to happen to you in church. But the reality is that for most of the world, including most of the people in our community, church is an alien kind of place. It, it, It seems like it would be uncomfortable, maybe even dangerous if they were to show up there. Now, Paul, the Apostle Paul, was in the city of Athens. Athens was the artistic, cultural, and intellectual center of the Western world. And you know how it is when you're a tourist. I mean, my wife and I have been tourists around here. We we drove down to Big Sur, and we took the 17-mile drive, and we've gone through all the fields where all of the food grows, and we're going, that's how amazing that is. Well, Paul did something similar. He was walking through the city. And as he walked around the city, taking in the sights, it seemed like at every corner, he came across a place of worship. Now, what you need to know about the ancient Greeks is the ancient Greeks had hundreds of gods. There was a god for everything. There was a god of fertility. There was a god of war. There was a god of love, a god of luck. Honest to goodness, there was actually a god of beekeeping. 
And it went on and on and on. And for every one of those gods, somewhere in the city, there was a temple. And in every temple, there was a man-made image made of that god. And the people worshipped that image. Here in the most sophisticated city in the world at the time, they are worshipping idols. The book of Acts tells us that when Paul noticed this, he was greatly distressed that the city was full of idols. Are there any idols here on the Monterey Peninsula? I, I, I was listening to a radio show a while ago. It was a, you know, one of these call-in shows, and the subject for the hour was spirituality. And the thing is that during that time, they talked a lot about spirituality, but, but nobody seemed to really define exactly what they meant by it. I mean, some people spoke of a higher power. Uh, some people spoke about their inner self. But I was still confused. Out of curiosity, I logged on to Amazon this week, and I just put in the search box the word spirituality. And it came up with a list of books. Here's the top three. The first most popular book on spirituality was called Classic Spirituality for the Modern Man. It's a book that has 14 chapters, and each of those chapters contains selections from a spiritual classic. Interestingly enough, there is one of those chapters that's from the Bible. It is bringing quotes from the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, if you're not familiar with Ecclesiastes, let me just say to you, it's the most negative downer of a book in the Bible. It, it begins by saying, vanity, vanity. Everything is meaningless. This next book. Oh, by the way, I do want to say it gets better after that. <laughs> the next book was a meta-spiritual handbook, How to Be Spiritual Without Religion, Faith, or God. The third was The Untethered Soul, The Journey Beyond Yourself. Actually, I had to go down to number nine before I found a Christian book, which was called The Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Now, I'm not sharing this with you because I'm surprised by it. I'm not sharing this with you because I'm angry about it. I'm sharing that with you because it breaks my heart. I, I'm concerned about so many people who are buying so many books and yet missing the one truth that they need to know, and that's that Jesus Christ is Lord, and that he loves them with a perfect love, and he will forgive their sins and give them eternal life just by putting their faith in him. I, I, I'm upset kind of the way that Jesus was in Matthew 9, 36, when he said, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. I feel like Paul, who when he came to Athens, was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. He didn't get angry. 
He, he didn't get upset. He wasn't offended that, if you'll excuse the term, that the pagans were acting like pagans. But he was deeply troubled. His heart was moved. He had compassion. Why? Because he knew that every single person in that city who was worshiping every one of those false gods just carved out of stone was a person who'd been created in the image of God and loved by God. And that Jesus Christ loved those people so much that he was willing to go to the cross to die on their behalf. But they were still worshiping false gods. Somewhere along the line, I think each and every one of us needs to honestly ask ourselves, do we care? Do I care? Do I, I care about the, the kid in the Carmel, you know, down on the beach, who's playing in the sand and his mother is watching over him from the, a little higher up from the water wearing her hijab? Do I care about the homeless man who is walking through town with a plastic bag over his shoulder that contains every single thing he owns? Maybe he's talking to himself, a little scary. Do I care? Do I care about the clerk in the store where I was shopping yesterday. Have you ever had this experience? You go to the store, you come to check things out, and the clerk's got their ear, earbuds in, you know, and they're on the phone with somebody while they're checking you out, and they never even look up and say good morning or have a good day. I don't know about you, that just bugs me. But do I care about that person, or do I just care about the impact they have on me? Do I care about the guy who's going through town with the top down on his 2019 BMW convertible who looks like he's got it all, but he doesn't have Jesus? Jesus cared. Paul cared. And I want to challenge each and every one of us. We need to learn to have that same level of compassion for all the people we run across every day in our lives who are chasing after money or fame or popularity or good looks when what they really need is Jesus. Now, but be careful, though, because if you start to have compassion on all of your neighbors, compassion always leads to something more. It will compel you to doing something about it. Now, the people of Athens, they didn't have uh, television or the internet <clears throat> or uh, any place to provide entertainment like that or exchange ideas. What they had was an open marketplace that was called the Areopagus. It was kind of like the, the Greek version of talk radio. And 
Here's Paul, and he's standing on a large rock. It's called Mars Hill. That is Mars Hill, so you can get a sense of what it looks like. And that's pretty impressive. Paul's up there talking to the crowd that's gathered around him. And the view from Mars Hill is this. It's the, it looked better back then. <laughs> it's the temple of Athena, the, the patron goddess of the city of Athens. A tourist attraction from which people would come for hundreds of miles around to, to marvel at and to worship in the goddess of wisdom. Now, Paul starts to talk, and it doesn't take him very long to draw a crowd. He says, men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. Now, he's complimenting them. You know, he's like, yeah, they, you know, like, yeah, this guy, he gets us, huh? We're religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. They're going, yeah, he's paying attention. He really cares about us. But even before he began to talk, do you see what Paul was doing that is so often absent in the Christian church today? He left the synagogue and he went out into the marketplace of ideas, and he met the people where they were, where they lived, where they worked, where they went for entertainment. He didn't expect people to come to him. He went to them. Now, I don't know how many times as Christians we might have asked each other, you know, why, why don't my neighbors come to church? What we really should ask is, why should they come to church? What in the world would make them think that what's going on within these four walls is relevant to their lives? For you see, all most people see when they drive past the church is what they dismiss as organized religion, an institution devoted to its own self-preservation, a place where people come and go through empty rituals and uh, use words that are laden with obligation and guilt. They have their own language. You, you realize we do have our own language as, as Christians, right? Go, I have a hallelujah. No, no, no. <laughs> and one thing they're absolutely sure of is that... Um, Whatever else happens if they came through these, wall, these, these doors is that we would want a piece of their money. They doubt whether they would be welcome, and they are certain that if they were welcome, they wouldn't want to come anyway. It's harsh, folks, but I want you to understand that is the reality of the typical person in the culture that you and I live in. Do you know that the Bible, nowhere in the Bible are we commanded to invite people to church. But Jesus did say this. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. 
go. Anybody else here like ice cream? You know, I was told that the people in this service were really not very enthusiastic about responding to stuff the pastor asked them to do, and I guess that's right. So let's try. Anybody else here like ice cream? Oh, yeah. I will tell you right up front that my favorite flavor of ice cream above everything else, and I like a lot of them, but my absolute favorite is Ben and Jerry's Cherry Garcia ice cream. Oh, yeah. yeah. Chunks of cherry and chocolate and all that good stuff in in there. Now, Ben and Jerry's, for, for many of you, has been part of your life as long as you can remember, but the fact is that Ben and Jerry's uh, started in the 1970s, and they started by opening a, a tiny little ice cream shop up in Vermont, and their goal was to make the very best ice cream on earth. Now, after a while, they said, you know, this, we don't want to just stay here in Vermont. Let's, let's expand our market. Where, where should we go? And they thought, well, the greatest marketplace that we can get to within driving distance would be New York City. And so they opened a little shop in New York City near Times Square. And it was met with enthusiastic apathy. (laughs) No one could understand why they would spend $2.19 for a pint of ice cream. Wouldn't it be nice if we could get it for that now? They tried to figure out, what are we going to do? Because we've got something really good, but people aren't coming in to get it. And so they got a truck, and they put a freezer in the truck, and they parked in Times Square. And they opened their door to the truck, and they got out little ice cream cones, and they started giving away free ice cream cones to everybody who walked by. They gave out over weeks hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of free ice cream cones. And you know what happened? People discovered how to satisfy hunger they never knew they had. (laughs) Go and make disciples. Why do we need to go? Because the world is full of people who are spiritually hungry. They're hungry for God's love and grace and mercy and forgiveness and compassion, but they don't even know how they can fulfill that hunger, and so they chase everything else that they think will make them happy. Our mission, especially in in this beautiful and affluent community, is to help people discover a hunger they never knew they had and then point them to the only way that hunger can be satisfied, point them to Jesus Christ, our risen Lord. Jesus, his compassion compelled him to follow the sacrificial road to the cross. Paul's compassion compelled him to take his faith out of the synagogue and into the marketplace. Now, the Greeks, as we said, worshipped hundreds of gods. But they were afraid that somehow, some way, despite all of the gods they knew, there might be one that they'd somehow missed. And that one that they missed might be the one that they needed. 
And that's why they had one extra temple, which was to the unknown God. Paul went out into the city. He paid attention. Remember, he really cared about these people. And he saw that need, and he decided, I'm going to reach out and meet that need. He says to them, I found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. I want to suggest to you that Jesus in Carmel by the sea, Monterey Peninsula, Big Sur, California, the whole United States is still an unknown God. Now, I'm not saying people haven't heard of Jesus, but he's just a name. You know, he's, he's that little baby in the manger on Christmas. He's a, a, a statue on a cross. He was a great teacher, although most people have never actually read his teaching. He was a nice guy, but he finished last. But we know, we know Christ Jesus crucified and risen from the dead, present in grace and truth and beauty and power, a living Lord who loves us with an everlasting love and invites people of every race and nation and language to share his salvation and to be, believe it or not, to be his friends. We know Jesus who changes lives. We know Jesus who gives hope to the hopeless, strength to the powerless, direction to the lost. We know Jesus who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords and that all other gods pale in significance to him, especially, especially the God of self. We have good news. And there's no one else to tell it. I want to put it this way. God's plan A for bringing the love and grace of Jesus Christ to the Monterey Peninsula is the people sitting in this room right now. God's plan B, he doesn't have a plan B. The session as I said before, the leadership board of this church has been working really hard over the last month or so, discussing the purpose of this particular congregation and what's God's specific mission that he has in mind for Carmel Presbyterian Church. And they voted last week, a couple weeks ago, to reaffirm the following statement. Our mission is to make disciples and grow Christ-like followers of Jesus. But then they went further. They said, well, okay, but we've known that for a long time. If we were to fulfill that mission, if we were completely successful, what would it look like? 
And then the answer to that was the vision to lead all in our community to become lifelong disciples of Jesus Christ. To lead all in our community. All. That's a pretty ambitious statement. But let me ask you this. Can you think of anyone who God doesn't want to see come to Jesus? Can you think of anyone who doesn't need to know Jesus? And I want to suggest to you that no matter how good things look on the outside of someone's life, in reality there's still a God-shaped void that needs to be filled and only Jesus can fill that. Uh, what I w- would say is, you know, how we are on Facebook. You know, my, everybody looks at my Facebook page and they say, oh, you guys are having such wonderful time. Boy, you're having great fun on your trip. And I say, well, that's only the stuff I put on the Facebook page. Don't ever confuse your real life with somebody's Facebook life. Everyone needs Jesus. And so the session made a commitment And I'm really excited about this. The commitment is to you and to the community and to God. And to paraphrase it, this church is committed. We're going to do everything we can. We're going to do whatever it takes to fulfill that vision. We may not get there in our lifetime. But if not, we're going to die trying. We're doing this because Jesus died so that the people in this community may live. The people of this community that he loves may be forgiven and know what real love really is. So here's my question for you. What would Paul do if he came to Carmel by the sea. I think you know the answer. So my question is, if not us, who? If not now, when? That's why we're here. Now, Jesus could have come and brought the whole church home to heaven thousands of years ago. But I believe that Scripture teaches that he keeps the church here on earth to keep bringing more and more people to salvation because he wants heaven to be filled and he wants hell to be as empty as possible. I, I like to give next steps Uh, when I'm speaking, and so I'm going to suggest some next steps for you, a practical application of what we've been talking about. The first one is, I would encourage you to make a decision this morning that you are going to pray for a friend or a neighbor. Now, specifically, a friend or a neighbor who is not a follower of Jesus. And if you've, maybe you've got a, a name that's going through your mind, you've envisioned somebody, if so, please take that as a message from the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that's the person you're supposed to pray for. And pray for them and ask God for an opportunity to share Jesus. 
And then when that opportunity comes, actually do it. <laughs> Second, in a broader sense, I encourage you to make a decision this morning. You know what? Not only am I going to pray for one friend or one neighbor or one family member, I am going to commit my life to leading others to Jesus. I might not exactly know how to do that yet, but I'm going to learn because it has eternal consequences. Have you ever heard the phrase, uh, you know, we're supposed to store up treasures in heaven? I've been trying to figure, it took me a long time to figure that verse out because I thought, well, what does what does he mean, store up treasures in heaven? I can't take my car, I can't take you know, my bank accounts, my investments, I can't do any of that. There's only one thing I can send ahead of me to heaven. And that's people who receive salvation in Jesus because I've been part of the process of telling them and leading them to faith. Which actually I guess comes to the third next step which is if you're not yet a believer in Jesus. If you've never at some moment in your life said, Jesus, I, I grew up in the church, this, my parents taught me this, but today I want to claim it for, as my own. I want to follow you. I want to be your disciple. Please forgive my sins and give me eternal life. Or maybe you've been coming to church or maybe whatever, you just heard the gospel and understood it for the first time last Sunday when Luke was preaching, or today, and you go, I, I want that, I need that, I've got that hunger. I want to encourage you, don't leave here today without, making, without asking God to fill your spiritual hunger with the love and grace of Jesus Christ. And then may the excitement of God's love pour out of all of our hearts and transform our community to the glory of Christ our Lord. Now, I'm going to pray in just a moment. But before I pray, I want to ask you, if you decided today, or you're still, if you decide even now, uh, yeah, I want, I, want to, I want to become a follower of Jesus. I want to give my life to Jesus. I'd like to ask you to help with one thing. When you look at the back of that blue Connect card that you have, in the pews. Would you check off, I gave my life to Jesus for the first time today. Put that in the offering plate when it comes by because we'd like to reach out to you. We'd like to share your joy and we'd like to help you with next steps as to what it means and how you can have the full life that Jesus Christ wants you to have in him. So let's pray. Lord God, I pray that you'll help us to break out of our shells and to have enough compassion for our neighbors who are lost to take the risk that it takes to share Jesus. It is hard, Lord. We, we're afraid we're going to get embarrassed. We're afraid we'll be rejected. We're afraid we won't know what to say. But Lord, through your Holy Spirit, I pray that you'll give us the courage to speak up anyway and then Trust that you will give us the words if you've given us the heart. And Lord, I pray for those who have not yet known Jesus. If, if that's you and you want to do that today, just say, Lord Jesus, today I give my life to you. don't know exactly what that means, perhaps, but I do know this. I want my sins to be forgiven. 
I want my life to be made whole. I want to have hope that goes beyond today and hope that goes beyond tomorrow to eternity. I give my life to you, Jesus. And we will pray all of these things in his holy and precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.